You're listening to Half Stack Highlights, a blogcast dedicated to showcasing the latest in indie talent, business, and creative opportunities for the dreamer in you. We bring you intimate conversations with up-and-comers, entrepreneurs, and fellow dreamers alike, and we're based right here in Chicago. Hi everyone, Jen Lazan here with HalfStackMag.com, and I hope you are all doing really well. It's finally starting to feel like spring here in Chicago. As we continue to dive into the theme of explore, for this episode, I wanted to take you all on an exploration of a topic, art and the artists behind the work. As an art school student graduate, art has always been a topic that I have been drawn to. I've always found the theory behind art, the history, and the artists themselves fascinating. As a hobbyist painter, I've always found art as a way to explore myself in a deeper way. It's also been an amazing outlet for me during some of the darkest moments in my life alongside music. When you look at a painting, you're seeing so much more than the subject matter at hand. Often, you're seeing the perspective of that subject through the eyes of the artist. You might feel the pain, the sorrow, and anger, or joy just through that painting. You can truly connect to an artist through their artwork. This week, I had the opportunity to talk with art conservator and author Maureen Sigaudens and researcher Joseph Morsman about their latest release with Schiffer Publishing, Emerging from the Shadows, a survey of women artists working in California from the years 1860 through 1960. Throughout this series, they are introducing and reintroducing a diverse group of dynamic women artists. This four-volume series delves into showcasing so many women who did not get the attention that they deserved during this time solely because of the fact that they were a woman. There are hundreds of women highlighted, and still that merely scratches the surface. Many of the artists represented in the book actually have a Chicago connection, as they were either born and raised in the area, or they even attended the School of the Art Institute right here in Chicago. We discussed the seven-year journey into researching and publishing this book, the backgrounds of Maureen and Joseph, and we even touch on why so many of these women didn't get the attention that they deserved. Finally, we spotlight four artists with a Chicago connection. I hope you all enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed speaking with Maureen and Joseph. It's a great one to listen to, so grab a cup of coffee, grab a glass of tea, plug in your headphones, and join us for the ride. Thank you both, Maureen and Joseph. I really appreciate you all getting on this call, and our listeners are sure to be excited to hear more about what you both have going on. Can you both please tell me a bit about yourselves, your backgrounds, and what led you to pursue your career, and in particular, Maureen, you as an art conservator? Well, okay. Um, to begin with, um, my academic studies were basically in philosophy and anthropology, uh, which is a little difficult to get employment in at this moment, as you can imagine. Uh, <laughs> and I realized that in being in the art world all my life, my grandfather was a jeweler in San Francisco, Maurice St. Gaudens, and he was the uh, cousin of first cousin of Augustus St. Gaudens, the sculptor, the American sculptor. So I do come from a background of art, and uh, but it's so difficult in, the, in this world to make a living as an artist that that I had always put that aside until I realized that there really is a tremendous need for an art art conservation, and not only just for art conservation, but for art conservation for the average painting. When I first started, um, it was really impossible if you just had an average painting in your house or something that your family had, had handed down to you to be able to get it restored because it was terribly expensive. So mm-hmm. I started out to attempt to be able to restore paintings just for everyone, and and I didn't charge a tremendous amount of money. So I was able to do a broad 
a group of paintings for individuals. And that kind of started it. And little by little, as I continued over the years, I've been an art conservator for almost 40 years, um, wow. I found that that's where we became very familiar with these artists that just sign with initials or sign with last name and, and were basically genderless. But yeah. after further study, realized that they were all women and that wow. we really needed to address them. So that's wow. how it came, all came about. What about you, Joseph? What's your background? Well, my background, I, I, I'm not, I don't have a, an art background per se. Um, I have no art studies. I've, been, uh, I've worked in the film industry here in Los Angeles mm-hmm. for the past 15 years, 16 years. And I've always loved art, and I've loved the 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 history behind uh, many of these many artists and 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 history itself. And uh, so uh, when uh, Maureen was working on the book, I you know it was a perfect opportunity for me to jump in and help do some of the research on these women's lives and. Uh, to you know, just to do it from more of a historical perspective as opposed to an artistic perspective. And I needed the help. <laughs> <laughs> I needed it desperately. So, so how did you two meet then? Was it has it been throughout your career? Did we you met through a mutual part? friend who realized that I was having you know a lot of problems. It was a tremendous amount of work to put together, and um, and he introduced me to Joseph, who I'd known for you know casually, but I didn't know personally, and um, we just hit it off immediately. Joseph loved the project, and of course he's a magnificent researcher. He's just fantastic. So um, that just started us on our little. A journey and our adventure in finding these women and finding out wow. who they were because it was so very difficult. Most of the women I chose, I chose for the book, uh, the majority of them were were unknown. They were women where the data had not been collected or was terribly incorrect. And so wow. we were really starting from scratch. Wow. So speaking of the book, can you tell us a bit more then about that four-volume release, Emerging from the Shadows? What can readers researchers expect to see when they open it up? Well, I think they are going to expect to see a very unique book. This book uh, uh, brings together um, artwork of the artist plus their biographical backgrounds um, and signature examples. So we've really tried to put together a continuum that that will uh, benefit you in every way possible to, to do research on the artist. It, uh, you know, it, Maureen, it, it was so brilliant in, in, you know, with her background in what she was always looking for when she was researching. Um, she realized, you know, uh, you need to see an example of the signature. You need to see the type of work the women did or the individual did, not just one piece, because one piece didn't give you the full picture. You needed to see a couple of pieces to see. And so... Um, to see if their style change, you know. Mm, okay. And so she put this book together in a, in a way that uh, is so user-friendly. And, of course, I, I saw the need to... It's one thing to just have a name of an artist and to see their images, but I said, you know, you need to know a little bit about who they were, where they came from. You know, we had a couple of artists that um, uh, were uh, here in California, but you'd look up and research them, and it always would say, well, they were East Coast artists. Well, no, they weren't. So by giving a little biographical information, you can show that 
they were not just an East Coast artist or a West Coast artist, but they they were all around. So you can't you couldn't pigeonhole them. So it it helped to ex- explain a little bit about who they were, where they were, and then you got to see their signature. You got to see examples of their work, and so we tried to give a well-rounded you know story for each each woman, and that's and that is um, you know we ended up with 320 of them. <laughs> well, if we wow. could have continued to have more. That was that was just, that was hard to stop. Actually, that was part of wow. the problem. But a lot of the information we found originally was not correct, and when Joseph would start to to trace them backwards, we'd find out mm-hmm. that they weren't born when they when when it was recorded that they were born. You know, and we found out all different kinds of things. They were married more than once, uh, many times in in many cases, and that mm-hmm. they traveled so extensively, as Joseph said, it was very hard to pigeonhole them because we found they were such an exciting group of women, especially at the turn of the century, 19th to the 20th century. They just traveled everywhere. Um, and they traveled in, you know, the, when you think of the clothing that was worn during the 19th century, oh, yeah. and they're wow. tracking up through the mountains with <laughs> with easels and canvases, <laughs> and they have these long dresses and corsets on. It's like, my God. Power women. Seriously. So how much time then? went into the research, you know, you, you have such an extensive list. How, was it years? Was it months? What what does the timeline look like in terms of how long it took you to pull all this information together? It took about seven years for us to, basically, we've been working on the book about seven years. But, of course, prior to that, because all these pieces, we didn't look for these women. These were women who came to me uh, for one way or another through the restoration business. And so wow. I knew where they were. But in some cases, I hadn't seen the paintings in many, many years. I had just made reference to the fact that this was a woman. You know, these were women artists. They, Even though their signatures were genderless, uh, we knew where they were. So it was at that time uh, the ability to bring them all back together again, contact people we hadn't talked to in many years and say, you know, do you still have it? Bring it in. And so we, we shot for about, we continued to photograph for probably four to five years. And... Uh, you know, and one person would would say, well, there's a collection that somebody else had. That would turn us on to another artist, and it just grew and grew. Wow, wow. So what did that publishing process look like? Then? We had a fantastic, fantastic editor. She was just absolutely marvelous. Catherine Mallet is just absolutely wonderful at Schiffer. And, and she was just so enthusiastic over the book that she worked with us very, very closely. And just wow. little by little, you know, we were able to put it together. Well, Jen, I think in answer to your question, um, Maureen had uh, done a book previously with with Schiffer, uh, the um, on the artist uh, Sam Hyde Harris. A monograph, and she did a monograph on Sam. And Sam was a, a, a Southern California artist, and um, she did a, a, the book with uh, with Schiffer uh, seven years ago, seven eight years ago. And um, so she had a working relationship with them in the past, and and Schiffer was uh, enthusiastic about doing more artist-related uh, topic books. And uh, so when uh, Maureen uh, uh, pitched this idea to them, they were very enthusiastic. Of course, at the time she did, it was going to be a one-volume book, right. and, and you know, and 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 no more than maybe a hundred artists. As that, then when I came on board. I of course opened up a whole new avenue of collectors to Maureen and and I said, well you're doing paintings but what about printmakers? There were a lot of women who yeah. were printmakers. That's Joseph's specialty is but, the printmakers. I said, and, and and so that of course opened up a a, a new can of worms and uh we <laughs> said, well okay, maybe if we 
pushed it up to 150 <laughs> artists. And then when we got to 320, we said we've got to stop because we could easily <laughs> add another 320, and, and it's going to be about the size of the Encyclopedia Britannica. And um, so we had to stop. But And we kept sending off notes saying, you know, we love you very much, Schiffer, but guess what? We've added another 50 pages. We've added another 100 pages. <laughs> Uh, that's the reason it ended up as a four-volume book. <laughs> yeah, for 1,300 pages. Um, but, uh, so, no, so Maureen had a, 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 a long-standing relationship with the folks Wonderful. at Schiffer. And uh, then we were very fortunate to, to have an amazing editor come on board because, as you know, without a good editor, you're, you can be lost. And um, oh, yeah. Mallet at Schiffer was just absolutely amazing so um she got so involved in the women in their history and she just became so involved with them and just loved individual ones and had favorites yeah you know, so yes absolutely and it's 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 i i think it's very important to showcase work like this and to highlight the history behind things like that you said that so well earlier that so many of the 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 pieces of work that you were you know, you were working within the restoration business. That they they were they, there was only a last name, or it was a very genderless name, and then you come to find out that it's a woman. And why is that? That's the question that we have to explore, right? So exactly. Despite- and of course, what was nice is my background goes goes way back. I mean, we do restoration from around the 1400s to about 1950. Wow. But Joseph's expertise is more in the abstract expressionist. So, and of course in the printmaker. So between the two of us, we were really oh able gosh. to, you know, to, to cover many, many years. Yes, absolutely. And really showcase, like, look at this wide array of women who didn't get nearly enough attention that they probably should have during their heyday, which is Exactly. One of, the, one of the decisions we had to make, because most books are set up by style or by time period, mm-hmm. but uh, since my background was in social science, I wanted to know the population I was working with. So we did some statistical analysis and realized that the average age of these 320 women is 81.5 when wow. they pass. And so they live for such an extended long you know, period of time that they cover many, many styles. And that's what, wow. uh, that's what kind of forced us to put them in alphabetically, which turned out to be fantastic because people who are interested in prints see the paintings. And people who are interested only in paintings are exposed to prints and, and pottery and numerous things that they wouldn't yeah. normally look at or artists that they with styles they would not normally check out. And um, and here they are. They have to look at them because there's, every time you turn a page, there's someone new. Yes, absolutely. It's very eye-opening, and it's, it's broadened your horizons in terms of interest and being exposed to different types of work, and I think that's wonderful. So despite the progression that we've seen, you know, in women's rights in the work world, there's still an obvious underrepresentation of women in major art collections uh, and exhibitions even. Um, so I want to bring it back to to the time frame that you all have been, you know, researching and showcasing throughout, you know, throughout these four books. Why do you feel there was so much underrepresentation? Why do you feel the women didn't sign with their name. They signed with their last name. Um, and what are you hoping that your release will do uh, to kind of bring that to light in today's day and age? 
Well, I think they, as we all know, they were highly discriminated against. Mm-hmm. And one of the main reasons, you know, one of the things that they were discriminated against, which hurt them drastically, was the fact that they were limited to the subject that they mm-hmm. could uh, paint or create or whatever. And um, the minute they stepped out of that, the minute they became bold or strong in their artworks or did something other than children and puppies, um, uh, you saw the criticism about them because they were copying the male artists. So mm-hmm. they they just had all these hurdles that they had to cross uh, in, in order to express themselves. And I think that the way they found the easiest way to do that was to become genderless. That way, they had a chance, a better chance of being accepted into the salons and to the exhibitions where their work could be seen. Absolutely. One of the great things we found in researching the women is we would read historic newspaper accounts. And mm-hmm. um, even in some of the early newspaper accounts from the 1890s, 1900, 1910, you would have art critics saying, well, there are some women ex- uh, exhibiting in such and such uh, an exhibition, and even though they're women, they're almost as good as their, their male counterparts. <laughs> right, right. You know, and these, <laughs> were the, these were the things that the women had to Little subtleties. contend with. And so what these women started to do, would they would just sign their last name, or they would sign an initial and a last name, or just their just initials. Mm-hmm. So they they mm-hmm. didn't. So you had to look at the painting and appreciate the painting for what it was, and not put that um, that uh, the name with it. So if you looked at a painting and you say how wonderful this painting is, this is the best painting in the show. You you c- couldn't then say, but it was done by a woman, you know. And we had one mm-hmm. terrific story where. Uh, in the 1890s, there was an art uh, uh, exhibition up in uh, Northern California in San Francisco, and, and they were announcing the winners, and the first prize was announced, and the they said, will so-and-so please come <laughs> to the podium? And a woman in full long skirt, corsets, hat, <laughs> stands up and walks to the podium, and they said, no, 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 no. <laughs> You're not, you know, uh, the winner is so-and-so. And she said, I am so-and-so. And so here, this is what they had to do in order to get accepted. And then, of course, once they started showing that their work was as good, if not better at times, than their male counterparts, people started to pay a little bit more attention to them. But still, but they did create, a right. long time. And they created their own groups to be able to show. Many wow. people, many of the women up north actually created their own associations so that they could have their own art exhibitions where they were able to show their work freely and do wow. the subjects they wished to, to create. Because wow. otherwise they were relegated to Sunday painters. And there were many articles in the newspapers that we, we came across that said, you know, the women are fine, but they really do need to work on Sunday and, 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 and get together and do that all together as a little group. <laughs> <laughs> Wow! Yeah, wow. so they, they they had a lot of hurdles they they had to uh, they had to cross. Even and even later, like our our wonderful artist Ruth Kempster, who did the fantastic wrestlers for the 1932 mm-hmm. Olympics in Los Angeles, she won the second prize because her painting doesn't show enough aggression. Well, of course, it shows a lot of aggression. They just didn't want to give her first place because she was a woman. Wow! Yes. It's interesting to see how you know, how things have progressed. And it's what I think is even more interesting, though, is 
the fact that these women were so savvy. Like, they knew what they were up against, and they got smart about it. They're like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to initial it. And I love that story. Just, yeah, I am so-and-so, and I'm a woman. Thank you very much. Give me my prize now. It's amazing. Very it is amazing. And the it. fact that they, they traveled, they went on tramp steamers by themselves. I mean, this is the turn of the century. We think today women are being aggressive and doing wonderful things. But when you look back mm-hmm. at these women, they were just absolutely amazing. There are a number of them that went into Mexico um, wow. during their summer vacations, away for the, most of them taught, uh, away from schools and by themselves. I mean, tramped all the way through Mexico on burros and whatever. One of them carried her own tequila with her, so she was made sure she was reinforced there. And um, um, they would spend their time studying and painting, you know, the, the, the people and the places and the environment uh, by themselves. Something we wouldn't dare do today. It's amazing. It's amazing. What, if any, changes have you seen in the art world as it relates to women and their progression as working artists today versus, you know, what you're so well-versed in in the past? Well, I think think one of the the biggest uh, advantages today is there's so much representation out there. There's there's, uh, many more galleries than there ever were before. And there are many more art schools than there ever were before. So there, there's more opportunity in that respect. Um, and I think we're making it more public. I think that we're getting, we're, we're, mm-hmm. there are articles and, and, and all kinds of, of, of exhibitions that are going on now that are really emphasizing women. I think this year particularly you're seeing a tremendous uh, emphasis on women exhibitions and undiscovered women exhibitions, which we love to mm-hmm. see. Absolutely. So speaking of artists, would you both please share with us perhaps one artist from each volume that truly made an impact on you as you were researching their history, their story, you know, their background for the collection? Sure. This is more Joseph than myself. Well, there's, for it. You know, there's so many. You know, <laughs> just, there's so many. With these 320 women, it, it's it, we almost feel like we've become friends with each of them <laughs> because in in reading about their lives and about their you know their struggles and everything, you you really become attached to these women. You become attached to their stories, and it's almost like you you've gotten to know them. And uh, some were comical, some were heartbreaking, and some were just unbelievable. Um, yeah. You know, one of the one of the artists in Volume One was a, a painter by the name of Mabel Burnett, and we spent several days going over old newspaper articles as I was reading about her. And we found that when she was um, a young girl, she'd been sent away to um, uh, uh, to to school and uh, uh, apparently she wasn't happy being in school and um, she more progressive uh, she, she and she and a her roommate decided that they were going to run away and you know for whatever reason well they ran off and um, it became um, a, a highly uh, uh, you know covered a story and it was in the east coast papers and the chicago papers they didn't know if she'd been kidnapped or uh if she'd been murdered or what had happened to her wow. and they had police searches and and for you know for the time period 1895 
you know this was this was a pretty uh, a pretty dramatic uh, dramatic thing and after several uh weeks of intense searching uh she was located and she had actually gone off and um met a man <laughs> uh, she, we believe she had met a, uh, uh, her future husband yes. <laughs> she was spending time with him as opposed to being in school and um uh, surprisingly um uh, Three months after uh, after she was uh, she was found, uh, she and the man married, and they remained married for the rest of the uh, rest of her life. But uh, wow. it was just it was it was a comical because the uh, as you read the newspaper stories of 1895, they were all very dramatic in their assessment of what had <laughs> happened to this young girl and where where she could be and who who kidnapped her or who uh, who apprehended her and. And so we and uh, we just uh, we just took great great um, uh, glee in 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 reading more about her. And of course, we've never actually read her account of the of the uh, escapade. But uh, that's one of the people we would love to go back and say, now tell us the real truth on how this all happened. But uh, but but she was that was the artist Mabel Burnett, and uh, she eventually she and her husband um, uh, moved to from uh, the Chicago. Uh, they she was from Chicago, then she had gone to. Um, uh, uh, New York State in Massachusetts, and um, mm-hmm. it was in Massachusetts that she actually was in uh, at Mount Holyoke uh, College where she ran away. And then uh, after she she and her husband married, they moved to the Pasadena area, and they spent the rest of their uh, lives here in Southern California. And she was a you know a working artist. She exhibited, and um, but we just found her early life story. So much more fascinating than anything else, and we we just would like to spend fifteen minutes saying, "Okay, now tell us the real truth." What you, <laughs> you really do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so many of them. We have quite a few of them that 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 because they didn't want to follow uh, the instructions of their parents or their their dictated future. They wanted to be artists, and so they would do all different kinds of things. We have a couple that um, actually uh, faked mental illness so they wouldn't have to go off to finishing school. Uh, and a couple of them that went to Europe with with uh, chaperones and then ditched the chaperones. So, you know, they were very adventurous women. Yes, I love it. Rebels without a cause. Well, actually, their cause is art. So, <laughs> yeah. Rebels well, and that takes us to uh, the, uh, the, an artist from volume two of the book. Um, her name was uh, Graziella uh, Jacoby, and she was a Chicago native, and she came from a very wealthy um uh, established um you know a Jewish household in Chicago mm-hmm. and um mm-hmm. she uh, she was an only child and so she grew up in somewhat the um you know a uh affluent affluent uh, affluent lifestyle and but she became um uh, an incredible um illustrator and and artist uh, she loved to um she loved to draw of the day, and so she was always drawing politicians, uh, images of politicians and industrialists, and you know, theatrical stars and opera stars. And um, this was, you know, she was born in 1885 in Chicago, and um, uh, she studied at the Art Institute of Chicago. 
and she studied under people like you know Bellows, and mm-hmm. um, so she she was really uh, she, she very talented background, very talented, and she established an art studio very early on in Chicago, yeah. which was almost unheard of at the time, you know. And uh, she worked for the Chicago Tribune. She was the arts editor of what they considered a new era newspaper in Chicago called the Women's Press. And um, she was very uh, adventuresome in what she did, and she traveled the country. Um, and one of the greatest stories is um, in 1926, there was a, um, a theatrical production that was touring the United States called The Miracle. And it was um, the, um, uh, the lead actress was a, a very prominent English actress by the name of uh, Lady uh, Diana Manners. Mm-hmm. And the miracle um, uh, took place in a convent, and Lady Diana Manners was a nun who, uh, uh, you know, had visions of the Virgin Mary. And so this whole theatrical production played out. Well, what um, Jacoby did was she joined the cast, as, uh, uh, and she was cast as one of the nuns, a background nun, and she would stand, and she, um, in full habit, she had affixed a notebook on, um, on her rosary beads, so it would look like a Bible, and she would stand in between scenes, and she would sketch what was going on on stage. To sketch the actors. And she would wow. sketch these actors <laughs> yeah. and the actresses. It would be like having your, your, your iPhone and, record, right. and recording it wow. in 1926. And, um, and then she'd have them sign the drawings, which was just wow. fantastic. Wow, talk about multitasking. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so that was... That was uh, so. That was just uh, you know she she would she would put herself in whatever situation she needed to in order to capture the moment. And it was like it would be like having your iPhone with you, so you could capture an instantaneous moment. She was doing it with her sketch pad, and um, we were able to. And and very few people have heard of her. And um, she went on to sketch, you know, all the great great people of the day. And um, she went to work for all of these newspapers, and she would go in, and they would hire her as court uh, artists. And Mm -hmm. she would go in, and she would sketch the. The, the participants of the trials and and her her drawings would appear in um, you know major uh, uh, head under major headlines for for uh, court trials of the day and then she eventually moved to um, Southern California and she moved to Los Angeles and she became part of the um, the Garden of Allah crowd and that was a very famous compound here in, in L A that was um, the the um, the owner was a silent film actress by the name of Ala Nazimova, and it became this very famous compound of actors and writers and uh, different different uh, people uh, that came to California and wanted a place to stay. And she kind of ensconced herself there early on when she first came to Southern California. And then, of course, she went out and eventually settled in Pasadena. But she she did some amazing drawings of people and places uh, uh, here in Southern California. And um, uh, so we, uh, we've we kind of uh, grown attached to her because of her boldness and her and her um, fearlessness to, to uh, throw herself into the trenches and, and do whatever she needed to do to capture these images. There was a, there's an artist here in um, uh, 
California by the name of Poila Pillen. And Pillen is known as a ceramicist. And she's nationally recognized for her ceramics. She uh, she did some uh, beautiful ceramic pieces that are very collectible. Uh, and uh, they're very distinct because of the imagery she used on her ceramics. But little did we realize that she had been a, a, a fine artist before venturing into ceramics. And we had one uh, wonderful collector uh, here in um, uh, Southern California that we we met, and um, he's uh, somewhat of an expert on this on this woman. And so we were talking, and uh, he said, "Well, what about Poya Pillen?" And we said, "Well, she uh, she did the ceramics, which are really nice, but we're not focusing on just ceramicists." And he said, "Well, no, she was a she was a painter. She, she was an she, easel artist. She right. was an easel artist. She did incredible work." And we're like, "You're kidding. We've never seen anything." He's, and he presented with this huge portfolio of her work, of her yeah. paintings and her drawings. Uh, she had, she was uh, she was from Poland, and uh, her family had immigrated to the United States and settled in Chicago. And she, you know, uh, went to the art in, uh, Chicago Art Institute, and she studied with. Uh, 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 Geller in Chicago, and she was very involved um, in early studies with the Jewish People's Institute in Chicago. Mm. Um, she eventually met her future husband in Chicago, and they went to Santa Fe, and they lived in Santa Fe for a few years where she produced an incredible body of work capturing Santa Fe in, you know... Uh, in a, a modernist early, style. In a modernist style. And then uh, after a few years, they went back to Chicago and eventually came to Southern California. But here is someone who has been, you know, only recognized for one... Uh, right, pigeonholed uh, into a little box. Right, yes. one aspect yes. of, of her art. Uh, but then when you see her drawings and her paintings, she was a, very much a modernist at the time. And uh, she continued to paint and draw throughout her lifetime, but she turned to ceramics because that was more of uh, a money maker for her. That she needed that to support herself, and so she and her husband, who eventually uh, uh, worked with her on the ceramics, they—that um, uh, is what she's known. They for. concentrated. But really. what we're showing, we're showing, you know, eight pages of incredible paintings and drawings that people have never seen and don't realize that here's a woman who who had a multi-faceted um, career uh, but is only known for one aspect of it, and which was very good and which is very collectible, but we wanted to show that she did more than just that. And that was the, the uh, artist Poya Pillen. We've tried to do that throughout the book, too, Jen, with the artists yeah. we do have. We have included artists in the book who are known, but uh, I was pretty strict on when we showed those artists, we showed what else they did, not what they were just known for. So you'll find yeah. the portraitists, we have landscapes by them, and landscape artists, we have the portraits. You know, we wow. have the things that people don't recognize, and, and yeah. we're so happy to have people say, oh, I didn't know they did that, my gracious, that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yes, absolutely. It's, it's so important to showcase that they're multifaceted. I think that's very common. With so many exactly, people. You know, you get locked in. Yeah. You think this is the only thing the artist can do, and it's not at all. They're they're much Absolutely. broader than that. So we've really tried yeah. to show. We've gone to a great deal of trouble to show as much of a breadth of the artist as we possibly could. Yeah, yeah. She did a wonderful job. Thank you, Donna Schuster, who's a, a wonderful impressionist artist, and um, she she was born in 1883. 
in Wisconsin, but then studied at the Art Institute of Chicago and spent quite a bit of time in Chicago. Uh, she studied with Tarbell and with Benson, and then eventually studied with William Merritt Chase, which is where she, she gets her Impressionism and her Impressionistic mm-hmm. style, of course. But she changed styles, and, and um, one of the, the things, which is a good example, because uh, a lot of people who are familiar with her later work open the book and, and see these fantastic uh, Impressionist pieces that we start with. And, um, you know, she's an artist that, again, uh, somewhat conformed to the style of the time. So she would change her, her, her style of painting. She would change her, her motif and the subject matter. And um, over a period of time, that is sometimes um, not, not a good thing because mm-hmm. what happens is you're not able to concentrate on any one style and people can't really put you anywhere. So uh, mm-hmm. what happens with those a lot of times is they fall through the cracks of history because they can't be pinholed. And uh, and that was part of the problem with Schuster. Her early work is just spectacular. Her later work is good too, but is quite different, and uh, becomes almost to an, an almost an abstraction where she's not really an abstract artist. Schuster, um, um, what um, what we found then was a very tragic story about uh, Donna Schuster. Was um, she uh, she perished um, uh, while trying to save, save her, dog. her dogs. Um, wow. uh, from a, um, a fire, she lived in the, Griffith, the Griffith Park area of in Los Feliz in the in Los Angeles, and mm-hmm. a, 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 a wildfire had erupted, and it was uh, heading towards her home, and she went to the home to try to save the dogs, and unfortunately, and they all perished. She and the dogs right. perished. They were the only victims of the wildfire, but the house. Um, you know, uh, they they couldn't save her, and that, and she perished in an attempt to save her dog. So, you know, what where her career would have led her, you know, who knows? She had quite a career before yeah. that, and how her styles may have even evolved even more uh, if it weren't for her 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 sudden death. Exactly. Oh my goodness, that is definitely tra- tragic. Or you think it's you know, I I have a dog and. My Ellie is like my third daughter, and I can, yeah, that's, that's family. You do what you can to. It's your family, right, and you become so attached to them, you know, and you yeah. can totally understand that. Absolutely. And she did that. Another artist we have in, in, in Volume 4 is Julia Bracken Went who's a, a great example of an artist who is just absolutely spectacular. She's a sculptor. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a sculptor, I mean, she she had a fantastic career, um, was, was highly respected and highly well-known, uh, and then unfortunately married a, an artist who um, kind of overrode her. So mm-hmm. when you hear about uh, William Wendt a lot, um, who is an artist who basically somewhat does the you know, <laughs> shouldn't be saying this, but somewhat does the same thing over and over again. And his mm-hmm. his, his mm-hmm. strokes and his application of art are very geometric. He's very predictable. Where where Julian Brackenwin isn't at all. She's a marvelous artist. She's just an absolutely spectacular sculptor, and uh, and and she kind of disappears into history because he takes over the limelight. So, you know, this is something we see repeated through the book is when uh, they become subservient to their husbands, unfortunately. And uh, in some cases, they divorce them and go on by themselves and and, and strive to have their own identity. But in other cases, they stay together and they're lost. What we loved about uh, Julia Bracken Went was, you know, some of uh, the stories about her early life before she came to California or even before she married William Went and when she was just Julia Bracken. 
and she was the second of 13 children, if you can imagine. Wow. In, in, yeah. In, uh, the 18, in, she was born in 1868, so she was the second of 13 children. And they couldn't, uh, her family couldn't, basically couldn't afford to keep her, you know, uh, mm-hmm. as uh, with so many children. And so she was forced uh, to be a domestic servant. At uh, 17 uh, you years know, of at age. At 17 years of age. So she wow. went into domestic service uh, in, a, in a household there in Chicago. And her, mm-hmm. fortunately, her employer was a woman by the name of Alice Stahl. And we don't know a whole lot about Alice Stahl, but Alice recognized Julia's um, artistic talent, and she encouraged her to pursue art studies, which, you know, at the time, a 17-year-old girl in, you know, the 1876, um, uh, 1880, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily an option, especially if you were mm-hmm. working as a domestic. And so yeah. Stahl uh, encouraged her and helped finance her studies at the Art Institute of Chicago. Chicago. And um, wow. and she uh, she remained, uh, uh, she enrolled at the Institute in 1887, and she was there until 1892. And she, that's where she uh, established her early training. But um, so so these women, uh, the, Julia Bracken is a perfect example of someone who came from you know less than you know a, 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 a well uh, established background financially, and she mm-hmm. she uh, through the good graces of uh, you know a, a patron or, or, or uh, this Alice Stahl, she was able to pursue a career and realize her potential exactly yeah. and uh she was uh she was one of Loreto Taft's uh, the sculptor Taft's um uh assistants at the uh, mm-hmm. uh in doing the 1893 World's um exposition there in Chicago and yeah. he had he had a group of female students what we loved he had we a group it. of female students that um, uh, that he worked with, and all of the women, they became known as the White Rabbits. The White Rabbits. Mm-hmm. They, they were they were they were his his female students and his assistants, and um, they assisted him in the completion of the sculpture for the exposition. And Julia was probably the most promising of that group, and and. Uh, so he kind of took her under his wing and and helped uh guide her and 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 uh, nurtured her and so she was very lucky throughout the course of her life you know having Alice Stahl to help her and then Taft who uh encouraged her and she became she's a, a brilliant artist brilliant sculptress mm-hmm. and she had her own studio um in in um uh, in Chicago, in the Tree Building, I don't even know if the Tree Studio Building is still uh, in existence on the north side of Chicago. But she maintained her studio, and and uh, you know, here's a woman in the For 1890s a of years. that had her own studio in Chicago. For I think 12 years. I yeah. Think was, yeah. So um, she was uh, she was quite a remarkable woman. And then in 1906, she married Went, and within a few months of their marriage, they moved to Los Angeles, and they remained here until 1942 when she passed away. But here in L.A., she did some major commissions. She actually, uh, in 1913, was the first uh, artist to receive um, uh, public art funding to to do a commission here in L.A., and she created this wonderful um, uh, statue called the Three Muses, which um, is uh, is still in existence, and it's in the rotunda of the uh, Los Angeles County Museum of History. And uh, it's still there, and it's these uh, three beautiful women 
that um, uh, represents the disciplines of history, science, and art, and which mm -hmm. is what, at the time, the L.A. County Museum was called the Los Angeles County Museum of History, Science, and Art. But, um, but that was um, it, just one of her many major sculptural accomplishments. And, um, and that's one of the things we found in the book, too, that we, by, mm -hmm. by researching the book we found so interesting because we wanted to include sculptors. I come, of course, from a long background of sculptors. But mm -hmm. um, there were very few women sculptors, and there was very few avenues for those women sculptors. And so they ended up doing monumental works. And we found out that most, almost all of them ended up doing monumental works because it was the only place they were accepted. That's amazing. I just I think that's what's so intriguing about all of this. We get such a vast background and history on each of these women in such a you know, you're, it's such a great way to condense it down, but looking at so many different personalities and their stories and I know there's so many more. You mentioned three hundred and twenty profiles. So yes. with that being said, where can listeners actually purchase the collection and perhaps learn more about each of you, the, you know, the the books, where where should we send them for more information in this well, you know, online I, digital age? I think <laughs> the best way is um, we've established a website for the book. It's emergingfromtheshadows.com, okay. and it's um, uh, you can see uh, – images from the book. We have a, a preview feature where you can actually look inside of each of the volumes to get a sense that there's there's artwork that spans a hundred year time uh, time period from the early realists uh, to modernists, the abstract expressionists, and so you get to see a little bit of that in the preview feature. And then it, uh, it tells a little bit more about the genesis of the project and where the project is headed. You know, we there as we said, there's 320 women in the book and 300 in individual stories, but there's 300 and more stories yet to be told. Yes, um, yes. Even since we finished the book, we've discovered more and more women who we we said if we only knew beforehand, we would have loved to have had them in. Uh, so what we're going to try to do is document them on the website and share images of their work, do a little bio for each of them. And as we said, many of these, these women have never been written about in the past, so we, we, we feel like we're really helping them to emerge after years of, um, you know, uh, uh, of of not of being seen, ignored, seen. Yeah, um, right, right. And my goal, basically, what I hope, you know, if we can get the funding and if we can continue, is to make it a living book, so that as we collect more information and as people contact us with information either on these artists or artists that we haven't experienced yet, that we'll be able to add them. So the book will just continue. It will continue to live and grow, and 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 produce more names. I mean, we found thousands of names of women artists that have that have not been recognized. So we're just scratching the surface. I, I dearly hope that the book will stimulate uh, uh, young women and, and, and men, too, to, to do further research, to, to take these women and go further with uh, the information we're giving them so that they can write their dissertations on them or you know, write their theses and, and, and really do monographs on these artists and other artists so that we can start to bring these ladies out of the shadows. Yes, there's, absolutely. There's, there's still 
many of these women that we we still we know that there is additional information out there about them. Some of the women we couldn't find exactly where they had studied, or we couldn't find um, you know uh, details about their early life. And um, we know that it exists out there someplace. And uh, we're hoping that people with this book, people will see the images and say, "Well, gee, I know who this." artist was or I have a painting by this artist or this was an this was a cousin or a, a grandmother or whatever that it'll help us to expand their stories because these women were all rich in their lives and stories and and we want people to not only see their art but to understand who they were absolutely and even just be inspired by each of them I feel like some of the stories are just absolutely inspirational well, that's what we're hoping for. Yeah, we had we had a gentleman come from the Art Center of Design here in, in, in Pasadena, which is, of course, an extremely well-known school, and he was just thrilled. He, they bought a number of, of uh, sets for the school because what he wanted to use them for was to stimulate the young women artists and the, and the young men artists of today to show them what can be done, and he found the book would be a tremendous stimulus for them. So, you know, that's what we're hoping for in many ways, not only the artwork, but their histories, that this will create uh, uh, new avenues for artists today. Thank you so much for listening to this latest episode of Half Stack Highlights. If you'd like to learn more about Emerging from the Shadows, as well as more information about Maureen and Joseph, please check out emergingfromtheshadows.com. You can purchase the book online at amazon.com. And also, while you're at it, please take a moment to stop by halfstackmag.com. And of course, keep up with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all at halfstackmag. Thank you, as always, for your constant support.